This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Invest Talk. It is August 9th, 2018. And I do really appreciate you being here. I really do. Uh, It's already Thursday. And August feels like it's going by really fast. I'm Steve Peasley. And those of you that visit our companion platform, investart.com, you will see a simple yet honest statement on our website. This is how we feel. The InvestTalk commitment to you is all about reason and common sense guidance to make you a better investor. That's it. I really believe that. So whether you listen to the radio or podcast or spend time exploring our website, Justin and I want you to know we put a lot of effort into creating a dynamic learning environment for you. And of course, we invite your participation. Our anytime phone lines are open now, 888-99-CHART. You make the show. If you have investing or financing questions, now's the time to ask them. And I will give you straightforward, unbiased answers. Now, we have so much we can go over today, market activity, your concerns, maybe your investment strategy ideas, and I found a new, uh, kind of a few interesting money awareness topics, maybe, but at least I hope they're interesting to you, but let me start by telling you, uh, setting up a simple question. How many credit cards is too many? Now, the answer depends on how you use them, and I'm going to give you my philosophy and share some credit card do's and don'ts in the next 10 minutes or so. But first, let's get to our Thursday's show kicked off with a question that came in early on our Anytime Listener Line number, 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. Brendan Berry here from Austin, Texas. Um, I just started working for the city of Austin. had a quick question about a retirement plan that they sent me in the mail. They sent me a city of Austin 457B deferred compensation plan, and so I'm wondering how that differs from a Roth IRA or any other retirement account, because I've never heard of this before. Uh, thanks so much for the answer. You guys have a great one. Bye-bye. Okay, so it's a 457 plan, and that uh, 457s are the same thing as 401ks, except they're for government entities, where 401ks are for private enterprises. And there's also 403Bs, and, and all, that, all those are just different types of employers, but the same kind of law. Now, there are differences, but they're pretty minor. Now, you said this is a 457 deferred benefits plan. And whenever I hear that word deferred benefits, it tells me that, you know, they're going to put money in it that's a salary to you uh, that's your money. or the, And you can sign up for it. And I don't know if they'll match you or not. I don't know. You have to figure that out. But uh, it, you know, every one of these plans, you kind of have to just understand how they work. But it's like any other retirement plan. You're, you know, uh, when when it comes to deferred benefits, it means that you're there's tax differences, and you're going to have to ask a tax person or your department, your HR department, about what the tax treatment is. So that that's all there is. You just have to understand how it's how you're being treated tax-wise. Now, credit cards, they're a pretty handy tool, as you know, and I use them, everybody uses them, and you have to use them in this day and age. 
in a modern society. And you've probably heard me say more than once that I believe you should not carry a credit card balance. As an investor, your aim is to collect or accrue interest, not pay interest, right? I mean, you want money to be paid to you, not paying money out in interest. First, let me set the table here. The average American had 2.6 credit cards in their name, but individuals with the highest credit scores have seven credit cards on average, according to FICO data. Now, this leaves many people thinking that it's better to own a lot of credit cards. After all, if you can handle several credit card accounts responsibly, won't that increase your appeal to lenders? Well, 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 <laughs> well, hold on, I got technical difficulties here with my computer. Um, um, so, um, you, uh, seven credit. Okay, uh, okay. Why this can be true? Having a bunch of credit cards can also lower your credit score, especially if you've opened several of them recently. Plus, if you start spending too much, you could find yourself buried under a mountain of credit card debt. And we definitely don't want debt. You, you want to get out of debt. Now, I should mention the story I found on usatoday.com, by the way. The obvious benefit of signing up for multiple cards is the increased opportunity to earn rewards, right? I mean, different cards give you different rewards. Some cards will give you cash, crash rewards. Uh, maybe for a certain, like gasoline, give you more for that. So there are reasons to own separate credit cards. It could be valid reasons for that. <clears throat> when it comes to your credit score, however, the benefit of more cards is the impact on your credit utilization ratio. Something you probably haven't heard of before. Credit utilization ratio. Now this is a measure of how much credit you're using compared to how much you're entitled to. Most experts recommend keeping your credit utilization ratio of about 30% or less, meaning don't use much of your credit that you could use. Now keep your score, credit score higher that way. Exceeding this amount can cause your score to dip, to go down. For example, if your available credit between, your credit between all cards is $30,000, you probably don't want your balance to exceed 10000 or it should be lower than that even. It's been proven that people spend more money when using a credit card than when using cash. Now, if you have multiple credit cards available to you and you're trying to rack up as many rewards points as possible, you may end up spending more than you mean to. That's the danger of credit cards. They're so easy to use. And this could mean that you're going to go over that 30% limit and your credit score will be impacted. So you just have to be a bit, a bit careful, everybody. Now to wrap it up, having the right mix of real credit card and credit is good. Overusing that credit or making late payments is very bad. Be practical, be realistic, and be disciplined about what you're doing. Okay? Credit cards are, can be very, very addictive. Don't get over in debt. Now, please know that if you reach the point where you are ready for professional money management expertise, Justin and I would be happy to help you. You can always call our Dana Point, California office or get a message to us through investtalk.com. Now, what's our feature talking point today? An economic lesson. 
the crashing downfall of MoviePass. Competitors are rising, and this could benefit the movie industry and its patrons. But how come MoviePass is getting crushed? So we'll talk about that business model in a minute. Okay? Some of the other topics we're going to discuss today. How about uh, the PPI, inflation news that came out? I think that's something that we should share. It was surprising. Home prices rise at the fastest pace in more than four years. Rise at a fastest pace. And remember, you've heard me on this show saying there seems to be some cracks in the home industry. They're used in existing home sales and new home sales. It's starting to show some crack in the real estate area. But not this report. So let's go over that. And why are wages rising so very slow? Why? When the unemployment rate's 3.8, super low. When, you know, there's employers are searching for talented workers. How come wages are not growing faster? And I have a couple of reasons why that might be the case. That's what we're going to discuss today. But, of course, you come first, whatever's on your mind. The market was mixed. The Dow was down 75. The Nasdaq was up 3. And the S&P down 4. So not a lot of movement, actually. So you had a big opening for the week on Monday. Um, and Tuesday looked pretty good. But yesterday and today, that's kind of sideways movement. Nothing big. Nothing interesting. Okay, so I'm going to return to San Jose on August 29th for a one-on-one portfolio review. So space is almost filled up, everybody. If you want an appointment, I encourage you to register now at investtalk.com. I'd like to sit down with you. I can help you. I really can. There's no cost to you. And now the phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. It's a Thursday Invest Talk. The summer's moving along at a good clip. Back to school and back to work plans are in the works. And maximizing the performance of your portfolio should be on your radar. To that end, the phone lines are open and Steve is here to answer your investment strategy and process questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. We're going to have a little economic lesson here about MoviePass. Now, MoviePass was a subscription. I don't know if you remember this. It was a, a subscription service to go to movies. And initially, it was a pretty hefty subscription price of about $50 a month. But they only got about 20,000 people to sign up. So they lowered the price down to like $15 a month. And, they got, and it worked. And they got millions of subscribers at that rate. Okay? The problem is at $14 a month, you go to one more than one movie in a month and they're losing money because they never got discounts. See, I think that their whole problem is their business model was not very good. Okay? Uh, they needed to work on a infrastructure that would allow allow people to go to any movie they want anytime. Instead, they were restricted some of the most popular movies that you could not go to using MoviePass. Okay, and they never really got discounts from the movie theaters to go. The MoviePass didn't. So they had to pass along 
the entire cost of the ticket to the theaters instead of getting a discount. So this really was a flawed business model. Now they've tried to increase the price, okay, uh, to get it higher just so that they can get back some of the money. Well, now it's a bit too late. Bit too late. The stock has, you know, had a reverse split. You know what that is? A reverse split of one for 250, meaning the stock was stock was in a penny stock, and they tried to get the price up and got it up to $14, and now it's back into the pennies again because they're not making any money. It, you, it, like Every business you invest in, and you've heard me say this many times on this radio show, buy companies that make money. Don't buy companies that don't make money. And I'm not sure how they're ever going to make money with this particular business model they have. Also, remember, they're competing. Who are they competing with? The theaters can make give, make their own discounts. The, the, the There's too many deep pocket competitors they're going to that could come along and have come along to to cause great disruption in their business model the idea sounds pretty good right you buy a buy a subscription pay a flat fee per month and you get to go see all the movies you want but the only way it would work the only way is if you see less movies than the actual cost now what kind of business model is that especially when they restrict the most popular movies. It just was not a good business model. So take a lesson. The lesson here is don't buy companies that don't make money. It's as simple as that. You don't have to get fancy. If a company doesn't make money, move on. Find a company that does make money. This is Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and it's worth mentioning that this program, Talk Radio, it's just one of our integrated information and education platforms. So, yes, please tell your friends about InvestTalk Radio. I would appreciate it. Also about the other rich InvestTalk podcast collection hosted on InvestTalk.com. Remember, you can listen to any any of the past shows for a lot of them. A lot of them. But now the phones and lines are open and waiting for your financial and investing questions. 888-99-CHART. Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. And remember that all the Invest Talk platforms, broadcast radio, live web streaming, website resources, and podcast replays are available free of charge. Tell your friends and family members and learn more anytime at investtalk.com. Now the lines are open, so call with your financial and investment questions, 888 99Chart. 888-992-4278. Let's go to uh, let's go to Dylan in Kansas. How you doing, Dylan? Dylan. How you doing, Steve? Thanks for taking my call. Hey, Thank so you. I had a question. Uh, you, you know, I've seen uh, these things. Mainly, the one I hear a lot is like StashInvest.com or StashInvest app, or like uh, Acorn and Robinhood. Like, you know, are these yes. reputable or? Yes, the, you know, the they're, they're Robinhood not, is very. Re- yeah, they are. Um, be very careful. You want to know who the custodian is. The custodian is the company that holds your money. Just make sure your custodian is SIPC insured, S-I-P-C. That's all you really have to worry. 
you can use those apps and everything else. It's the, the ones that are less well-known that want you to use a non-SIPIC entity to hold on to your investments. Don't do that. Make sure they're all SIPIC okay. insured. That way, no one. So as long as they're insured, it, it doesn't really matter which one you use. Because I was looking at like TD Ameritrade yeah. and TD Ameritrade is you know, perfect. Ones like that, are I, they I love better? It. Uh, TD Ameritrade is the one I use for all my clients. I also use Fidelity, but TD Ameritrade has the best technology out there, I think, and they're fairly and they're very reasonable in their prices. So I I, I prefer TD Ameritrade. Dylan, good question. Appreciate the question. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Manu in Fremont. How you doing, Manu? Uh, good, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You were talking about the companies who don't make money and you don't need to buy. Right. But I can count from Salesforce, $100 billion company, to $1 billion company, 30 to 40 companies in Bay Area, which are 5 to 10 billion and does not make money. And how yes, you, you can, can buy the company? That's what my question is, because no one knows easily the company is making money. Uh, you were talking about movie pass. I tried to short it at 38 pre-split, but I was not able to get it. Because they do with the algorithms, you cannot short the companies they pump. So well, there are companies you can't these short. Companies making money and growth. Well, remember, remember who I'm talking to, man. I'm talking to a wide public audience, and you're talking about uh, tech companies that maybe are startups or tech companies that are just went IPO and they're not making money yet. There, and you mentioned, I don't know what, what there's there's probably uh, lots of them, but there's so many more companies that make money, and you and I are not well-versed enough in all these companies that don't make money to know that they are going to turn around and make money. And it could be big, but we're not well-versed enough. We don't have enough information. That's not enough public information, or we don't know the technology very well. When you can find companies, hundreds of them, that are making plenty of profits, why would you choose not to buy those companies if your expertise is limited? Of course you would. So that's why. And you can't short certain stocks. Remember, to short a stock, you have to borrow it from somebody else, and it has to be someone else has to lend it to you. Well, what if no one wants to lend it to you? In other words, it's not borrowable for you to sell it short. And that's what you can run into, especially the little small price stocks. They have, you know, they're difficult to be borrowable from somebody. Appreciate the call, Manu. Thank you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Okay, home prices rose at the fastest pace in more than four years. Now, this is June's report. That's the latest report we have. Home prices continue to go higher. In June, and they went up. I think it was so. Let's see, well, I can get you the exact percentage here. It's in this report that I have in front of me. You know, all these reports are nice, fine print, right? Um, it was 6.8 percent year over year. That's how much it went up, and that pace was the highest it's been in over a year. And, and it's accelerating, the pace is going higher. 
Now, remember we're talking about June. And you know that I've told you the last three months, existing home sales have fallen. New home sales the last couple of months are weakening. And the experts are saying because there's a lack of inventory. Well, that's one of the reasons that they're weakening. But it is weakening. Now, the question is, as these prices go up, I can see the home sales weakening further. Because as they go up, they squeeze out more and more potential buyers because they can't afford them. It's impossible to afford them. Do you know where home sale prices actually fell the last the, this this report? San Francisco and Southern California, San Francisco Bay Area, Southern California actually fell. Fell uh, in Southern California, it fell twelve percent in June, year over year. In in the Bay Area, nine percent. Isn't that interesting? But overall, they've gone up very strong. Interesting stuff. Tomorrow on Talk, the threat of tariffs on auto imports may trigger price escalation. Well, that makes sense, right? With new cars getting more expensive, should you buy now? That's the question. Should you not wait till the tariffs push prices up? Should you buy now or what? We're going to talk about that tomorrow. I'm Steve Peasley. I'm at Invest Talk desk today right now. And ready to take your questions, 888-99-CHART is the number. Our podcast continues on next. It may be hard to believe, but the average 401k investor misses out on over $5,000 per year in investment gains. How come? Poor timing and subpar fund choices. That's the big challenge that is being met now with Active 401k. The typical 401k plan has limited choices. People don't know what to do, and that's exactly why Active 401k was devised. It may be just what you've needed. It ranks your current options within your current employer's plan, and then all you do is log in and make the changes. You'll be told exactly what to buy, what percentages, and what funds. This program is offered by invitation to KPP clients and limited number of our listeners, too. And if you'd like to see more about it, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Investments tab and then look for Active 401k. Now let's get back to our podcast. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, an independent financial advisor. If you are unclear about how best to allocate your workplace retirement account, such as a 401k, 403b, or 457, look into KPP Financial's Active 401k service. This will help guide your allocations every quarter based on current market conditions, fund fees and performance, and your personal risk tolerance. The Active 401k service. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. If you want to speak with Steve right now, he's here and the lines are open. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. We're going to talk to Mona and Fremont. How you doing, Mona? Doing good, Steve. How are you? I am good, and I thank you for the call. Okay. So I had a question regarding the realignment of the sectors. I read somewhere in an article that 
there is going to be a realignment of a few uh, companies, such as Facebook and I believe it was Google, moving out of uh, technology to communication services. So I wanted to get your take on, you know, if this uh, list is, first of all, available ahead of time, or is that something that will be available only after the 28th of September, I believe? And uh, how that would impact the current, um, you know, holdings uh, so that we could map out uh, the, uh, how it would look like after the changes. Well, these the indexes uh, change quite often. People think that they're 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 stagnant, and they won't. They're not. The technology index and the stocks in them they will change. They, you know, they drop them, they add some, they drop some, and then they also change them to different. They may say, "Well, it's no longer no longer fits this sector now. This this other sector." And I can see uh, Facebook moving from a technology to uh, to a, a, a communication sector easy. You know, think about what they do. You know, Amazon, is it really a tech stock or is it a retailer? So, and especially as they get bigger and bigger and bigger and they dominate, they dominate in their, their, their sphere, you know, it's very important where they're going to fit and what kind of index out there but it's up to the indexes to decide what stocks they allow into their index. They decide. We don't decide. You and I don't decide. Like the S&P 500. Those 500 companies, who, who, who's parts? The S&P decides that. Uh, you know, they, the Russell, all the Russell indexes, which is a lot of them. So we don't really get to know, and they don't let us know really too far in advance, Mona. They just do it. So you're not going to get a lot of, okay. you're not going to get a, a, a method to say, okay, I, I know that this is moving in or this is moving out. You're really not going to be able to benefit by knowing what it's going to be. Doesn't really help you. Thanks for the call. appreciate it. Okay, the PPI came out today. Tomorrow, the CPI. What are those? Producer Price Index, PPI. Producer Price Index, CPI Consumer Price Index, and those are inflation gauges, and they get reported every month. And this is for the month of July. PPI was expected to be up three-tenths of percent. This is at the producer level, everybody. Not your my level when we buy stuff, but at the producer level. When they buy products to input, they buy, you know, whatever it is out there to make their products. Are they seeing inflation? The idea is if they have inflation, they'll push it to us in the form of the PPI. Well, they expected three-tenths of growth, and it was zero. No, no inflation at all. The core was up three-tenths. Core products, core. That gets rid of certain items like transportation, things that are very volatile on a month-to-month basis. That was still up three-tenths. Tomorrow, we're going to get the CPI number, the CPI numbers. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention, but the Chicago Federal Reserve President's had uh, made, made a speech, you know, they always do, and he indicated that inflation above 2% is not going to be something the Federal Reserve is going to worry about too much. See, they don't really get concerned unless they see inflation getting out of control. And we don't see much wage inflation, which I'm going to talk about here in a bit. So there's no way for inflation to get out of control 
unless there's a cycle of increasing prices and increasing wages. And we haven't seen that in what, decades. Decades. So I don't think it's something, you know, the Federal Reserve is very concerned about inflation. They've been raising rates and they've been talking like they're raising rates because they want to control inflation. When in fact, I think more, more than 50% of the reason is they don't want to be so accommodated. They want to slow the economy down and they don't want to have easy money. They're trying to get out of that almost, what, since 2008, the situation where the interest rates down to zero. They made money so easy that it was abnormal and has been abnormal for a long time and is still abnormal, still, to this day, because the rates are still very low. There, I think there's just an effort to normalize them, to get them up to a normal rate so that they can fight the next recession. But at the same time, they be, may, may be well cause the next inflation by raising rates too long for over and too high. Now, everybody's going to tell me, and I know rates are 2% on the federal funds rate, and that's pretty low, yes, but they've been raising them. It's always the direction and the length of the movement that's the problem, not necessarily the absolute real number that it's at. That's not necessarily the problem. Now, you work hard for your money like me and everybody else. You want to invest it well. You want a decent return on your investment. And that job, of course, raises questions. Well, hopefully I've, we've got the answers here on Invest Talk. We're here to help you any way we can. I'm Steve Peasley, and Justin Klein and I want to make it easier for you to attain your financial goals. Now, I like sitting down here at Invest Talk microphone each afternoon. I enjoy the challenge of answering questions. I do like doing that, and I make a big effort to do so in an open, honest way. I really do. So thanks for listening, and please tell your friends about Invest Talk. I would appreciate it. The phone lines are open now, and we've got time for your question, 888-99-CHART. Registration availability for Steve Peasley's August 29th Portfolio Review Appointments in San Jose will soon close. There are only a couple of spaces remaining. So if you are ready to meet Steve and get his portfolio planning guidance, you should act now. Portfolio review appointments are offered at no cost and with no required commitment. So mark your calendar August 29th in San Jose and register now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. And speaking of Steve, he's here and he's taking your questions live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Thanks for everything you guys do. Just had a question on Johnson & Johnson. Uh, I wanted you guys to take a look at the fundamentals and uh, let me know about what a good entry point looks like. Uh, they had a big day today. Uh, I have a small position but was looking to add. I was wondering if now was a good time to do that. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay, Johnson Johnson, J&J. Uh, everybody knows who they are out of New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's their home office. Healthcare products, uh, services, uh, healthcare services, and pharmaceuticals, and medical. You know, they, they, it's a big, big company. Uh, $351 billion in size. They make money. They've always made money. They will continue to make money, and they grow their money. And recently, in the last year, it's been 10 to 12% growth in sales. And 
2008, it'd be about eight, 12% up in earnings to $8.14 a share. That's the estimate. And then next year, another another growth of $8.57. And it's a $131 stock. Okay, so it bottomed recently this year about 120 And it's at 131 And that bottom was June and retested in July. And now it's at 131 So there is your bottom for this stock. Um, and I would say that it's not overpriced. Turn equity is very high at 31%. Cash flow is very high, pays a 2.7% dividend. And I would say that the PE looking forward is around, what, 16? 16 or so? Um, therefore, I think, you know, that's a reasonable price for Johnson Johnson. So I would buy, you could buy it here, because it's right at resistance, by the way. But you can buy it on any type of pullback. If you get a pullback in the next few weeks, you buy it. I don't think I'd necessarily be a big rush to get into your, your more of a position. You say you already own it, but you wanted to buy more. I'm hoping you're not buying more than about 5% of your overall portfolio because you shouldn't. But if that if you if you have 2% and you want to get it up to 4%, I have no problem with that. Or if you have 3% and you want to get up to 5% of your portfolio, I have no problem with that. But I'd probably wait for a pullback, it's pulling back just a little bit. It was at 133, now it's 131. But it's right at support. I mean, right at resistance, you know, trying to go up higher. And it kind of is having a little bit of trouble. So you might get a little pullback to give you an opportunity. J&J, &J, everybody. Johnson & Johnson. Now, the other part of the inflation equation is wages. And wages are rising, but not very fast. Okay, and that has been a, a, a consistent a consistent issue going back to the 1990s or so. So, it is, it, it, for instance, 2018, we added one and a half million jobs so far. But wages have been growing very sluggishly. So, why? You know, what what is going on here? And, you know, there are a lot of people for, I'm not talking about, I, I want to look deeper other than political reasons or put the blame. And find out, well, why aren't wages rising very fast? One of the reasons is the companies have squeezed out middle management positions. Ever since this trend of squeezing out middle management started back in the 1990s. And then getting rid of middle management peaked in the Great Recession. So what's happening is you're seeing high management position and then a lot of workers with not a lot of middle management. And without that middle management, it doesn't drive the average wages up for the company. So, and why are they doing this? Well, they can do it because they're finding that they don't necessarily need them. Their productivity has not been that high, so maybe they're thinking incorrectly, maybe they do need them. But they're saying the price might be worth it. And so what they're doing is having all these, the worker bees, the normal average worker, manage themselves. And, and they, can they can check on that. With computers, you can check how efficient what your employees are doing and how efficient they are. I do it at my office. I can see exactly what my employees are doing, the few that I have, by sitting at my desk.
I know how many times they they turn on their computer. I can tell how how often they're working on it. I can tell what they're what they're producing. There's all kinds of ways to do that without having to hire someone, a middle manager, to sit on them and tell them what to do and make sure they do it. It's an interesting dynamic. The workplace is changing. That's what it looks like to me. It's changing, and it's been changing for years. I don't know if that's necessarily good. I don't know. I'm not convinced they don't need the middle managers because we've had for many for almost as long as they've been not hiring mental managers, we've had worse productivity numbers. Hmm. wonder if that's related. Now, has there ever been a time when you had a financial investment question and that came to your mind and you just didn't know what to do with it? Well, you can always call the Invest Talk Radio program here. So when this happens, and it will, you can call Invest Talk listener line anytime you want, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and submit your question. Here's a call that came in earlier at 888 99Chart. Hi, guys. Big fan of the show. My name is Jason from Ohio, and I just want to double check. I believe that my wife and I are projected to have the maximum income level for a Roth IRA investment. Um, I am a little concerned with, uh, I have invested about. 3000 in my Roth IRA this year already and about two or 3000 in my wife's Roth IRA this year. I'm trying to figure out what steps I need to take to call back those investments and what I can do to proactively uh, invest into a Roth IRA or how to get around the, uh, the caps uh, for income caps. So, yeah, if you guys give me insights on that, I appreciate it. Love the show. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bad, bad news is you can't get around them. You know, if you have, if you make too much money, uh, you can't contribute into a, a, a normal IRA, and there's all types of restrictions out there if you make too much money. Now, if I remember right, as a couple, is it? I think it's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't remember the exact amount. That's just not my speciality. You got to talk to an accountant. And if you're single, I think it's like a hundred and seventy-five thousand. If you make that much money. IRAs are not an option for you. Hopefully, you have a 401k at work that you can participate. Now, there are other retirement accounts, but you, you can't just open them up and have a retirement account. It doesn't work that way. you got to check with your accountant and talk to him about that because there are income restrictions. Your income can restrict what you can do. Now, looking at the clock, I see that our Thursday Invest Talk program is heading toward the finish line. But we still got about 10 minutes left, so I welcome your financial and investing questions. 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk. The threat of tariffs on auto imports may trigger price escalation. With new cars getting more expensive, should you buy now? That's tomorrow. But right now, Steve is here, ready, and he's taking your calls. 888-99-CHART. Yeah, look, this is Tad calling from Glendale, California. Listening to your podcast, I just have a quick question about uh, GoPro stock. I know their stock uh, went down really bad, but I just want to know if it's a good time to invest. Uh, 
as they are coming up with new GoPro cameras with a lower margin. Uh, so if you could go over with the GoPro and um, happen listening to your podcast. Um, thank you very much. Bye. I have never been a, a keen uh, investor in GoPro. I, I don't really care for their business model, just like MoviePass. Uh, and, and for everybody else, GoPro manufactures mountable and wearable cameras and accessories for the self-captured and sharing of content. Believe me, the camera idea of being smaller and very versatile and uh, yeah, the, uh, it's all great. My problem with GoPro is they have a hard time making money. They have they, they didn't make money. They lost money in 2016. They lost money in 2017, 69 cents a share. They're going to lose money, an uh, estimate of 28 cents a share this year. And their sales, if I, I can handle that loss a little bit better if their sales were you know, moving up, but the sales are not moving up. Last three quarters have been shrinking. So it's a $696 million company, meaning it's a small cap company, uh, uh, with, with not making any money. So, no, I don't think you buy this stock no matter what. I also think their idea with all these cameras is too easily copied by bigger and stronger competitors. I mean, I can actually see GoPro as a buyout contender. I mean, you know who could buy this company without even, you know, do you know how many companies could buy GoPro without even blinking for, you know, $700 million? I mean, it's nothing, nothing to a lot of companies. I mean, that's five minutes worth of sales for uh, Apple. <laughs> yeah, $700 million. They do that in, you know, 10 minutes. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I'm not keen on it. Um their margins are very thin, and they haven't been growing. It's just margin mean profit margin, people. The margins, profit margins. And that's not good when you're not making money. You want margins to expand. Expand. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to oil prices. Okay, but, you know, they're not going to go down. I don't see how they can get weaker with what's going on in the world. First of all, Venezuela used to be a very big producer of oil, one of the biggest part of the, one of the biggest producers in the OPEC cartel, but that state has failed. That their their economy is tanking because their government became socialistic, started to nationalize everything, and of course whenever that happens, I mean it's a, whenever you see that happening, when the when a government takes over a private industry, everywhere that's ever happened in history, the economies start to shrink, and then the government starts taking more businesses because that's how they're funding themselves. And therefore, now Venezuela has now done that, and of course, their oil production is kaput. I mean, they're still doing it, but not very much. Then you have the Iran uh, sanctions being placed, you know, putting back in order, and therefore, you have two big oil producers that are leaving. And at the same time, at the same time, everywhere else, economics are expanding. They're expanding slower, but they are expanding. And we're, right now, we have, for this year, there's going to be demand of about 99 million barrels a day for the year. $99 million. And we're producing 98.8 million dollar barrels a day, according to June's number. 
So supply and demand are really, really tight. And then when that happens, generally speaking, oil prices don't go down. If we we're going to move into recession, yeah, they would, but we're not. That's not happening. And you do realize here in the United States, our oil demand here is going down. Our gasoline demand and usage has been going down for a number of years. Down, not up. Down. People think that you would think that's just the opposite with our economy growing, but no. Thanks for being participating today, everybody. I do appreciate. It. We have completed another. Invest Talk program for you. I remember you, if you want to replay it, any or all of today's program, you can do so on demand from the podcast page on investtalk.com. I want to thank you for listening, and please come back tomorrow. I'm Steve Peasley, and have a great night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for listeners to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are principals of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, which retains all rights.